If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. If you're towards the back, Pastor John has some Bibles. And then if you're towards the front, we got some on the front platform. We want you to study God's Word with us, to read it with us. And so Hebrews chapter 5, you'll find that in the back of the New Testament. I would encourage you to continue to pray for our nation. We address this a little bit more specifically on Wednesday night if you want to listen to that teaching online. Um, but we need to be praying. We need to be praying for those in Florida. Um, very, very tragic. And um, I've been in contact with a few pastors in Florida there. And it's just a very difficult time for them. And a lot of emotions, a lot of anger, a lot of confusion, a lot of questioning. And for me, I don't have all the answers, but I do have the answer, and that's Jesus and how we need him. You know, we talked about on Wednesday, and I'm sorry if I'm a little redundant for those of you who were here on Wednesday, that Paul, some of the last words that he wrote, he said, Timothy, that in the last days it will be perilous times. He didn't say it might be. He said it will be perilous times. And that word perilous is interesting that Paul borrows the same word that Matthew uses in his gospel describing the demoniacs. You might recall that Jesus got in a boat with his disciples. They went to that area of the Gadarenes, and there were two demoniacs that they met that were exceedingly fierce. That's our word that Paul uses for perilous. And we know that Paul would write that it's going to get evil men and posters worse and worse in the days in which we're living in, so we need to be praying. And what was that Paul told Timothy? He said, that in these days that we're in, that you must continue in the scriptures which you have learned from childhood. Listen, we have godly comfort and godly wisdom to give to others, but we're going to talk about growing in God's word in our study here today. But as we move into Hebrews chapter 5, to remind you that in this epistle, that the emphasis is Jesus. Uh, it, it really is the theme of the book of Hebrews. And the initial reader was the Hebrew believers in the first century there. And, and it's a book that, of course, is written for us as well, for all Christians. But uh, they needed to know that Jesus was supreme, just as we do. Superior to chapter 1, any angel. Superior to chapter 3, any prophet such as Moses, who was a, a, a big uh, man of faith, you, you know, a, a, a person in their history, in their faith. We know that, that the writer here goes on as he's inspired by the Spirit of God to say that Jesus is far superior than any of the great spiritual leaders such as Joshua in chapter 4. And they are being told as well as us to consider Jesus, but we see Jesus, remember chapter 2, verse 9, consider him as he, Jesus, has been called the great high priest. And as the book of Hebrews is stressing that and continuing to stress and, and press the point that Jesus is superior to anyone in Judaism, to any religious system, including the Levitical priesthood. And we have seen that Jesus called here in this epistle, chapter 2, verse 17, the merciful and faithful high priest. And chapter 3, as we open it up, considered the apostle and high priest of our confession. And if you were here last week in our study, uh, the writer again, chapter 4, verse 14, telling us that we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who is compassionate. So the Jewish believer, being very familiar with the Old Covenant, that is the law and the prophets of the Old Testament, 
they would be very familiar with the Levitical priesthood. What was the role, the responsibilities of the priest, and the role and the responsibility of the high priest. So what is going to be emphasized concerning Jesus, the great high priest he is called, is that he is superior to Aaron, the high priest, or any high priest that came on the scene. And his priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. And the sacrifice that he provided, that is himself, is far superior and sufficient when you compare it to what the priest would offer up in the Old Testament. So we're going to see, first of all, as we open up chapter 5 here, the qualifications of the high priest, and, and then uh, comparing it to Jesus, his priesthood, as we open up the chapter in chapter 5, verse 1, we read of Hebrews where every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. We go to the Old Testament, right? We go to the book of Exodus, we go to Leviticus, we go to the book of Numbers, those books that we have traveled through on Wednesday nights here at uh, Calvary Chapel. And, and the office we have seen of the high priest and the priesthood being established and particularly, as you see in the book of Leviticus, what their duties were, what their responsibilities were. Verse 1 here, the writer, he reminds us, he summarizes the work of the priests and the high priests, that they may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. You go to the book of Leviticus, particularly as you see how the priests were to officiate the offerings, the sacrifices. Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. You have the burnt offering, you have the peace offering, the grain offering, you have the sin and trespass offering. And then when you go to Leviticus chapter 16, you know that the responsibility of the high priest was to go into the Holy of Holies behind the veil and he was to make atonement for the nation as he would present the blood of the sacrifice, sprinkle it on the mercy seat, that lid that covered the Ark of the Covenant there in the Holy of Holies. Now keep that all in mind as that is brought up. They would be familiar with it as we continue compared to what Jesus has done for us in his priesthood. But as we read here, beginning the chapter, that every high priest taken from among men, God had declared that it would be Aaron, the first high priest, and his sons that would be the priestly line. In other words, they came from the tribe of Levi, and the tribe of Levi, they were settled there right around the tabernacle. And Moses, he was Aaron's brother. But Aaron, your descendants are going to be the ones that are going to be the priests. Now, every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. Because there was different families of the Levites. As you go to the book of Numbers, you see their roles and responsibilities that are given to assist the priests in, in giving sacrifices and offerings described to us in Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is a book to show us how the priests were to serve and obey a holy God in their service there at the tabernacle later on at the temple. The book of Numbers shows how the people were organized and the responsibility of the Levites. So you had like the family of the Kohathites, you had the Maronites, you had the Gershonites. And keep in mind in that wilderness wandering, when that pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night that was over the Holy of Holies, the Shekinah glory of God, whenever it lifted and it departed, 
then they had to pack up, right? They had to fold up their tents, fold up the tabernacle, and to move wherever the Lord took them. And that's what they did for 40 years. So the Levites, those different families had responsibilities. The Kohathites, they carried the Ark of the Covenant, the furnishings. The Maronites, they carried the, the boards and the pegs. And the Gershonites, the veils, the curtains, the fence. It's all spelled out there. But as they assisted the priests there, they did not do the work of the priests. They, they assisted the priests, and then that would be changed by David, their roles and responsibilities, as he would prepare for the first temple to be built by Solomon. So we see here, it's summed up what they were to do in verse 1, but concerning uh, the high priest, he can have compassion, verse 2 tells us, on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Uh, the priests and the high priests were not chosen by the people. They didn't have a vote uh, by the people to see who would be the high priest or who would be the priest. It the you know, priests and the high priest was not chosen by Moses. They were called by God. It's going to be Aaron, the high priest, and his sons who are going to be the priestly line here. And we see here that one of the, the mindsets and the hearts of the high priest and the priest were to have compassion for the people since he himself is subject to weakness. And that's very important that, uh, thing that is being told to us here in the book of Hebrews. In other words, that high priest and those priests they were subject to weakness. In other words, they were sinners themselves. And being sinners, that they were to be sympathetic and compassionate to others and be humbled, as we're going to see here. That point is going to be brought out here in this chapter. You see, uh, in Jesus' day, as we went through Luke's gospel before we went into Hebrews, we talked about the religious leaders quite extensively, how it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Many of the Sadducees were the chief priests of that day, and they didn't have a humble heart, did they? And they didn't have compassion for the people. They were very hard on the people. They didn't care about the people. They put heavy burdens on the people. They were very prideful. They were very arrogant. And we see Jesus rebuking them for those very things. And this high priest Aaron, as you go back to the book of Exodus, he's subject to sin himself, verse 2. Matter of fact, we see that he really fell short, didn't he? You go to Exodus chapter 32. Most of you know the story. Moses is up on the mountain. He's receiving the law of God. The people down below get impatient. And they start saying, where's this Moses that brought us out into the wilderness? And Aaron, under the pressure, he says, well, give me some earrings. Give me some gold. And what he did is he melted it and he fashioned this calf. And you know how the people fornicated and how the people committed idolatry as uh, they were uh, there dancing around that golden calf. Well, the Lord tells Moses, Moses, the people have sinned a great sin. You need to get down. And Moses goes down there and says, Aaron, what have you done? And Aaron lies about it. He says, well, these people, they're all rebellious. And, and we took some gold and threw it into the fire and poof, out came this golden calf. And we know the true story was, is that Aaron himself fashioned that golden calf and said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. 
We also know in Numbers chapter 12 that Marian, Moses' sister, came against Moses, and Aaron was a part of that. We have an example there in Leviticus chapter 10 of Aaron's sons, Nabat and Abihu, who offered profane fire before the Lord. They sinned by doing that. And offering that profane fire before the Lord, suffice it to say that as we look at that very carefully, they were trying to take the glory away from the Lord. And when you and I minister, we are not to do that. That's going to be a point that's going to be brought out, that we are not to take the glory from God. Isaiah declares that the Lord says, I will not share my glory with any man or any woman. But as we look at verse 4 here again, and no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. It was the Lord that declared that Aaron and his sons would hold the priestly office, again, not being elected by the people, by Moses, but by God. In Numbers chapter 16 and 17, what we see in those two chapters there is that there is this rebellion against Moses and Aaron. Uh, Korah from the tribe of the Kohathites uh, or the family of the Kohathites. We have Dathan, we have Abram, 250 leaders. They come to Moses and they say, Moses and Aaron, you guys take too much upon yourself. You think you're really special. Well, we're special too. And as you read those two chapters there in the book of Numbers, you see very clearly that they're in this rebellion against Moses and Aaron, particularly challenging Aaron for the high priestly office. And here is Korah that's leading this, uh, this rebellion, being combative, uh, being one that's challenging Aaron for the calling that God gave to him. And he wants to be the high priest. He wants to go into the Holy of Holies. God had given him ministry. You see, being from the, tri uh, the family of the Kohathites, that Korah was, he was called to carry the furnishings. But he wants to be what Aaron is called to do, the high priest. So as you continue with that story, all of a sudden the earth opens up, swallows Korah, swallows Dathan, Abraham, 250 leaders of the congregation, their families. And I want to bring that out because here's the thing that we need to remember. I've seen this happen in ministry in the 25 years I've been in ministry, that if you begin to challenge and you begin to be combative and be rebellious against the calling that God has given to somebody, you're going to end up in a pit. And even as Marian challenged Moses that she was struck in with leprosy, and you're going to be eaten up. It's not a good thing, and it doesn't end well. So keep in mind, as we go through this portion of Hebrews that speaks of the priest, Peter declares for you and for me, as we make application for our lives, that 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 declares that you and I, as believers, that we're a royal priesthood. In Revelation chapter 5, you have that new song that is being sung by that multitude in that heavenly scene. We, we discussed it again on Wednesday as we're talking about the tribulation period that is in Revelation chapter 6 through 18. Isaiah is speaking about that time. But I love the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, the seven letters to the seven churches, that, that that's the church age. And then after these things, after the church age, you have that heavenly scene. And in chapters 4 and 5, described to us that you have that multitude that is there. 
before the throne of God that is singing that new song. And in that new song, read it for yourself, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, speaking of Jesus, out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. Now, who's singing that song? There's only one group of people that could be singing that song, and that is the church. You have redeemed us by your blood, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and you have made us, you know, uh, uh, kings and priests to our God out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It's not the song of angels. It's not the song of Israel. It is the church that is there. And then chapter 6 through 18, the scene goes back to the earth where God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. So you and I as believers, being a royal priesthood, making us kings and priests to our God, because he's our great high priest, that God has something for you to do. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. And whatever he's called you to do, only you can do it. And he desires to use you. And he desires to minister through you and to gift you and enable you to do that ministry that he's called you to do. Listen, that's why I don't stand up here and pound the pulpit and say, we need more help in this area of ministry and try to get you to feel guilty or to manipulate you or to, you know, come down heavy that you people need to serve. Listen, I want the Lord to call you to the ministry that he has for you. It works a whole lot better that way, doesn't it? And whether that's with the children or whether in the nursery or, or uh, serving in any other way, that God, as he calls you, he's going to empower you and gift you, and you do that ministry with great joy. And whatever he's called you to do, that is important to God. And don't any of us try to challenge or rebel against the calling of God in somebody's life. Know that we don't have to be full of envies and jealousies, and that's usually what happens when we do something like that in a rebellious spirit towards somebody, but we are to be ones that we are to just flow in what he's given us to do and be thankful for that and be humble in that. So the priests of the Old Testament, what they were to do, two main responsibilities, represent the people before God, and then they were to represent God before the people. You and I have those same responsibilities. In other words, representing the people before God. We are to pray for people, aren't we? We are to, to you know, point them to God, not to us. We're to represent God before the people. We're to give people the heart of God. We're to give them the word of God. So talking about the priestly ministry, the, the earthly high priest, four points being made here that we've read. Well, number one, taken from among men. Second of all, he was the sympathetic uh, and to be compassionate. Thirdly, he would offer sacrifices for the people. And then fourthly, God appointed the high priest. And now as we move on, we will see that the writer of Hebrews will make these points pertaining to our great high priest to show us that Jesus is superior to Aaron and the priest, that his priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Let's begin to look at that in verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And as he says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You might recall in chapter one of this epistle that it was emphasized 
that the Father declares concerning Jesus, He is my Son. That was not declared concerning any angel or any man or any prophet or any priest or high priest. But the Father said concerning Christ, You are my Son today, I have begotten you. That's from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And the Father has declared that Christ is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek that's taken from Psalm 110. So God appointed his son as high priest. And we are now being told in this epistle, Jesus being our high priest, notice it wasn't after the Levitical priesthood. Matter of fact, the original reader, having that background of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they would say Jesus being called the high priest, he's not from the tribe of Levi. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And this theme of Jesus being high priest after the order of Melchizedek is going to now be developed. It will be developed more fully when we get to Hebrews chapter 7. But Christ, who did not glorify himself to become high priest, we know from Philippians chapter 2 that he who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus, everything that he did, everything that he said, was to glorify the Father. They would come to him, Matthew tells us, after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. They wanted to crown him as king. Have you seen what he's done? He's fed us. He's healed us. We'll never be sick again. We'll never be hungry again. We're going to crown him as king. And Jesus dismissed the crowds. And it would be shortly after that, he would tell his disciples up at Caesarea Philippi that he's going to humble himself. And he's going to go to the cross. He said, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and elders. I'm going to be put to death. But I will rise again after three days. And I think that it would benefit our time if we look at the characteristics of our great high priest that we can learn as we are a royal priesthood, that we are to take on the characteristics of Christ, which is pleasing to him. You see, as we walk with him and as we serve him, that we are not to glorify ourselves. There's just something in our flesh, in our sinful nature, that we want to be glorified. We want to be exalted we want to be noticed don't we we want that we want people to to see us we want to be recognized when the lord tells us that we're to humble ourselves even as jesus humbled himself and think about this the creator of the universe humbled himself in becoming a man going to the cross and as he would meet with his disciples Right there, somehow I went way up, Jay, so he has all the power back there. <laughs> but as he humbled himself, thank you, he would gird himself with a towel in that upper room. The disciples came in, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, and Jesus washed their feet, and he said, this is what you're to do for one another, as I've set the example. He said, you guys want to be great in the kingdom? then you need to wash feet. That's what ministry is about. And you must be the servant of all. So Christ did not glorify himself, but humbled himself, even though he is our great high priest. 
Let's continue in verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. So just as the earthly high priest offered up prayers and supplication, our great high priest Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with cries and tears. Scholars will tell you, Bible scholars and commentators and teachers, that verse 7 here is a reference specifically to where Jesus was praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the garden, he's sweating great drops of blood, He's praying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Do you realize Jesus didn't have to go to the cross? He could have prayed, Father, let this cup pass from me, period. He told Peter in the garden there that I can call down 12 legions of angels. He could have, he could have destroyed those soldiers. He could have destroyed Jerusalem. All he had to do is speak, and 144,000 angels would have descended, could have destroyed all of the world. He was perfectly within his rights as God to do that, but he didn't because he was going to endure the sufferings of the cross for the joy that was set before him. He said, Peter, I'm going to take on the cup of suffering and death because of his love for you, because he loved you, and he knew all about you, that you'd be here on this Sunday in February of 2018, and he wants to remind you that he humbled himself, he went to the cross because he's motivated for his love for you to save you. And as he was on the cross, the religious leaders were mocking him, saying he helped others himself, he cannot help, he cannot save. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. And he did help others, he did save others. That was undeniable, but he could have saved himself. But he took on the cup of suffering death for us. His prayer is not my will, but your will be done. And we talk about the nails holding them up, those spikes on that cross, but we know the saying, right? It was his love that kept them on that cross for you and for me. And he would cry out from that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he took upon himself our sins as, again, chapter 2, verse 9, he tasted death for all of us. I'll tell you a prayer of faith that touches the heart of God is when we humble ourselves and we pray, Father, not my will, but your will be done. We read in verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation. I have that underlined to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Isn't verse 8 kind of an interesting verse? That Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. I think a simple way that we can understand here what is being touched on, and maybe that's all we can do is touch on it rather than fully grasp it. But Jesus, his incarnation gave the already infinitely wise and perfect Son of God the experienced knowledge of human condition and suffering. That suffering, in other words, would become a reality for him as he tasted death for everyone, and that's why he's our sympathetic high priest. And now as he conquered death for us, he's the, what, author of salvation. Earlier in the epistle, he was called the captain of our salvation, perfect 
through suffering. Uh, in other words, that he's the completer of our salvation. It comes by not what the earthly priest did in offering sacrifices, the animal sacrifices. It comes by what he did in being the sacrifice for you and for me. And Jesus accomplished that alone. As he died once and for all for our sins. And we will see that phrase being used in this epistle. He is called by God as high priest. Again, bringing up the fact that he is high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then all of a sudden, as we go to verse 11 here, the writer of Hebrews shifts gears. He, he kind of is going to change subjects. Let's, let's begin to look at that of verse 11, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. It's like the writer here is wanting to develop this idea that Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And again, we will see that the initial readers familiar with that term from Psalm 110 and from the book of Genesis. He will talk more about it when we get to chapter 7. But as he began to, to explain this, this priesthood of Jesus, that he stops here at verse 11 and he says, I need to address something first, and that is your dullness of hearing. You have a dullness of hearing, and it's not speaking about a problem with the ears, it's speaking about a problem with the heart. In the Greek, it means to be sluggish, to be lazy. The writer of Hebrews has already warned them in chapter 2 about drifting away from the truth of God, and you are to be anchored in Jesus Christ. The second warning we saw in chapter 3 dealt with hardening of hearts, and now he's warning against a dullness of hearing, which leads to spiritual immaturity. So what is spiritual immaturity? Well, let's finish the chapter, and it'll tell us. In verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You guys ought to be teachers, but you're immature. You're not grounded in the elementary, the basic principles of God. You're dribbling milk is what you're doing. He calls them babies. You're a bunch of babies is what he's saying. That you are unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, verse 13. Now, here at Calvary Chapel, we have lots of babies. You can go out and see the babies in the nursery, on the coffee shop, and they're so cute, aren't they? And they're cute when they're, you know, got their bottle and they're drinking their milk. Well, if I was to come here and I had a baby bottle and I started drinking it when I was thirsty, you wouldn't think that was so cute, would you? It would be kind of weird. It's something that, that, you know, you should be doing, you know, not drinking out of a baby bottle. But my point is this, that that can happen with Christians. And it happens when we become dull of hearing. And we're only taking in the milk of the word rather than, you know, growing in the word, taking in solid food, taking in the meat of the word. You guys should be teachers, but you're not. You're still dribbling milk. And you might be thinking as we read this, well, I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm not going to be teaching Bible study or be a pastor. Listen, how about teaching your kids? 
How about teaching your grandkids the things of the Lord, the Word of God? How about ministering to that person that works alongside of you or maybe that lives next to you? How about to whoever it might be that is linked to you in your life? You have godly wisdom and truth to give to people. A couple things here as first, you know that when we got saved, we began with the basic elementary principles. In our previous services, we had people make commitments to Christ this morning, and, and I love seeing that and how exciting it is for people to come to Christ, and then they begin to really grow in the Word, and they begin with the milk of the Word, but then they, over time, are going to eventually take on what our prayer is and hope, solid food, the meat of the Word. Maybe you come from a church, coming to Calvary Chapel here, and maybe you've been in the milk of the word for a lot of years. You haven't grown spiritually because the emphasis was tradition or religiousness or maybe entertainment, whatever the case may be. Growth and maturity is going to come as you take in solid food. You want to start out, all of us, we start with the milk of the word, but you're not going to grow if you become dull of hearing and you just continue in the milk of the word and not growing in the meat of the word, taking in the word of God. Now, you might be thinking, well, pastor, doesn't Peter say that we're to desire the milk of the word? He doesn't exactly say that. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. In other words, when you come to Christ, that you are to have a desire for the word of God like a baby does, a newborn. And again, as we talk about newborns, if you have one or the babies that are out there, when they want their milk, they want it right away, right? They want it now, and they're going to holler and scream until they get that milk because they desire it so deeply. And what is being told to us here is you and I, that we're to have a desire for the Word of God. And that's the way to growth. It's the way to growth. And as we begin with the milk of the Word, we're going to go on to solid food. And the way to growth is to take in the Word of God, not to be dull of hearing. Now, when you consider a baby, a baby is unstable. In other words, you can put them on the floor and they kind of fall down or they need lots of sleep. We know that a baby can be fussy and cranky, right? That babies want their way. Babies can be fooled easily. And when it comes to our spirituality, those are the same characteristics as somebody who's immature in the Lord, that's immature spiritually. They're unstable. In other words, spiritual babes are tossed to and fro from every wind of doctrine. It absolutely amazes me how Christians can get caught up with every wind of doctrine that comes blowing through the church that is unbiblical, is not of God, and just plain weird. And they get caught up in it. Immature Christians, spiritual babes, are sleepy. They're not watching. They're not sober. They're not vigilant, as we are told numbers, numerous times in the New Testament. Immature Christians, spiritual babies, are fussy and cranky, wanting their way. You know, I want to go this way, God. I don't want to do what you've told me to do. I don't want to submit to you complain over and murmur over God's provision or what he's doing in our lives. And the Lord desires for us to grow out of that to where we are ones 
that, Lord, I trust in you and I'm going to rest in your love and your promises given to me. Immature Christians can be fooled easily. And we are to have discernment. And it comes by knowing and hearing the word of God to discern what is good and what is evil because there's a lot of deception that is out there. And John, in his epistle, he says, listen, guys, test the spirits to see if they are of God. How do we test the spirits? We test it through the word of God. And those who are spiritual babes or unskilled in the word of righteousness, that you are not going to be used in the way that God wants to use you. And you're not going to be able to stand strong in the days in which we're living. And listen, do not be dull of hearing. That's my prayer for us. Let's not get dull of hearing in the day especially that we are living in. We need to continue to study God's word and not be lazy. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And as Paul was talking to Timothy a chapter later, right before he signs off and says, Timothy, my departure's at hand, that Timothy, it is going to be perilous times in the last days. We are living in those days. Evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. And those who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. So what did Paul tell Timothy to do? You must continue in the scriptures which you have known from childhood. Listen, Calvary Chapel, let's continue in the word of God. You have godly wisdom and truth to give to people. It reminds me so much, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. Daniel chapter 5, the handwriting on the wall. And here Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, calls out all the, the astrologers, all the wise men of Babylon, the soothsayers, uh, the astrologers to interpret the handwriting on the wall. They didn't have an answer. Call out Daniel. From Daniel chapter 4, that he was there at the right hand of Nebuchadnezzar to chapter 5. Do you realize that's a period of 20 years? For 20 years, we know that Daniel continued to pray to God. For 20 years, he was faithful to God, and he had determined not to defile himself. And when the time came to interpret the handwriting on the wall, when things were coming to an end for Belshazzar, they said, hey, bring Daniel out. You know, he ministered to your grandfather. He has the spirit of God. He still had that reputation. He has godly wisdom to give. And I just pictured Daniel at the end of his life there. He's an elderly man. He comes limping out and he says, God will interpret the handwriting because he had the wisdom of God. Listen, you have the wisdom of God. And in this day where there's a lot of confusion, there's a calling of all the worldly philosophy and advice, and people don't have the answer. But you and I have godly wisdom to give. You're going to be used of the Lord as you study God's word, and you're able to bring that truth and that comfort into people's lives. Can we do that? That's how we're going to be used. Don't be dull of hearing, but you be awake. And you be sober, be discerning, be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I'll tell you what, the time is going to come where God's going to use you in whatever situation it might be to interpret the handwriting on the wall for people around you in your life, to bring that comfort to them, to bring truth to them in every way because you're growing 
you're not immature spiritually, but you're willing to be used of the Lord in that way. Continue to grow in faith, and faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let's continue in God's truth. So, Father, we thank you for this important message given to us that's pressed to us. And, Lord, we can, we've, we've looked at important points of us as being a royal priesthood and um, all of that and um, tying it into the Old Testament, but mostly about our great high priest, how we are to be compassionate, we're to be humbled, to know that you have a calling for us, responsibilities to represent the people to God and pray for people, to intercede on those that we love in, the, in presenting them before you and then represent God before the people, to tell people the truth and the comfort of your word. Because your word is chapter 4 said is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, I pray that we would understand fully what Jesus has done for us, that he provided atonement for our sins, that it wasn't any religion, any church, any priesthood, it wasn't any of that. It was Jesus, our great, sympathetic, compassionate high priest who went to the cross. So if you're here this morning, listen, whether you're listening on live stream, here in the sanctuary, in a coffee shop, whether you're going to listen to this later on the radio, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ for salvation and forgiveness, He is your hope. He is your salvation. It's not found in listening to a Bible study. It's not found in belonging to a church. It's found by recognizing that you are a sinner and calling out on Jesus to be forgiven, to trust in him for salvation and forgiveness of sin, to know him personally, not dead works of righteousness. There's nothing that you can do to earn that salvation. It comes by faith alone in him. So if you're here and you're not right with God, Today is the day of salvation. Will you give your life to Jesus? He loves you. That's why he went to the cross. He was thinking all about you. That's why he brought you here. To offer salvation to you for those who call on the name of the Lord. You can do that right where you're sitting. Sincerely in your heart you pray, Jesus, I come to you. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I confess that I am a sinner. I know I am. I believe that you did die for my sins on that cross. You took on the cup of suffering and death, and you rose again in your life, speaking to my heart, and I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life. I thank you for forgiving me and loving me. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. I thank you for hearing my prayer and for this new beginning in Jesus' name. And listen, while we're being respectful, if anybody here at this service who I can see, if you made that decision this morning, will you just put your hand up and put it back down? God bless you. Anybody else at all? I'm not going to prolong it. If you're listening on live stream or on the radio, you've made a decision for Christ, will you call us during the week? Or maybe somebody that I don't see right now in a coffee shop. Lord, I thank you for decisions that have been made this morning for you. And 
I pray that you would fill them with your love and assurance. Lord, that for us who are growing, that we continue to grow, to be used of you in these days, to bring comfort and truth to others, to be humbled before you, not try to to get the glory ourselves or the recognition, but to wash feet. Lord, to, to point people to you, to be the servant of all. I thank you for this morning. I pray that that you would bless those, again, that are here, that are perhaps hurting, that have need, that you would minister to us, that you're the one that provides for our needs. You're the one that gives wisdom to those who are confused and strength to those who are weak, that you would do that work, Lord. Fill us with joy as we leave here. Give direction to those who need it. Wisdom to those who are confused. And Lord, knowing that it all comes from you, our great high priest who is sympathetic and compassionate, and we can come to the throne of grace in time of need. Thank you for that. Thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Would you please stand? Pastor.